0: hello and welcome back to the britain and in the early middle ages podcast this is episode 55 the end to our scottish saga yes this is going to be our final episode in scotland please consider making a monthly donation via patreon or one off donation via paypal both really help me make the show now let's go on with the episode We left off last episode with the death of Coulan and Kenneth II's ascension to the throne. Coulan had died at the hands of King of Strathclyde, and as such Kenneth succeeded to the throne at a time of war and just following a major defeat. Nevertheless, he rallied his armies and began to plunder Strathclyde. However, he was soon routed at the Battle of Moyne for Coda and forced to concede southwestern Scotland entirely to Strathclyde. Throughout his reign, Kenneth repeatedly raided both England and Strathclyde, at one point, he was even reported as capturing the son of the King of the Saxons. An event like that seems unlikely, but it is possible Kenneth captured the son of the Earl of Bamburgh, one of the powerful Northern English noble. Kenneth also built defences to block the Fords of Frew on the River Forth. In 970, King Edgar the Peaceable of England formally acknowledged Kenneth's control of Lothian. Indolf had previously taken the area following his conquest of Edinburgh, but up to this point England had considered it their land. This may have been a result of Kenneth possibly visiting Chester and joining the Welsh kings and submitting to Edgar. He supposedly rode a boat for the king, which contemporary English historians took as a sign of submission. However, it could have just as easily merely been a sign of cooperation. Perhaps the two rulers even rode the boat together and the English chroniclers just excluded Edgar's involvement to give legitimacy to English claims of overlordship over Scotland. Anyways, in 977, Kenneth faced a rebellion by Olaf, Cullen's brother. However, Kenneth defeated Olaf in battle. This secured his control on the throne and ended the rivalry between the two branches of the tree for now. For your information, Kenneth was a descendant of Constantine I, or the Blue Branch. Luckily for us, the dynastic squabbling will shortly come to an end with the elimination of one of the branches. I won't tell you who just yet, though. Let's go back on track now. Kenneth founded a monastery at Brechin in Angus. Kenneth died in 955 at Thetakarn, allegedly assassinated by Finguella, the daughter of the Earl of Angus. Why did Finguella assassinate the king? Well, the story goes, Kenneth killed Finguella's son. Understandably, this made her quite annoyed, so she plotted to kill the king. For some reason, she came up with the mo- literally the most convoluted plan she could. Kenneth was invited to her house, and I don't know why he accepted, I mean, he killed her son so you can imagine that she'd be at least a bit inhospitable. Anyways, Finguela had a booby trapped statue made. Kenneth asked to take a look at the statue, and Finguela allowed him to touch it. Obviously, though I'm not sure how, this resulted in Kenneth getting killed. I don't think I need to tell you how ridiculous this whole story is. I mean... There's so much logical loops and possible min- misinformation you have to go through to believe it. Fingwalla may have assassinated Kenneth, but not like this. Kenneth was succeeded by Constantine III, Kunin's son. Constantine ruled for only three years before facing a rebellion by D- Duff's son, Kenneth. The two met in battle at the confluence between the rivers Armand and Tay. Constantine was defeated and died in battle, leading to Kenneth taking the throne as King Kenneth III. Constantine was the final member of the Descendants' of Aid but this is not a dynastic conflict in Scotland, instead conflict shifted to being between the descendants of Kenneth II and the descendants of Duff. This was demonstrated in 1005 when Kenneth III faced the challenge from Kenneth II's son, Malcolm. The two met in battle at Morsvarne, or the Moor of the Bards, that's quite a cool name isn't it? Anyways, Kenneth III was defeated and Malcolm became King Malcolm II. Mm. Malcolm got his reign off to a bad start with an ill-fated invasion of England in 1006. He put down to siege before being repulsed by Earl Lichred, losing a significant part of his army in the process. The Irish Annals record the following about the battle. A battle between the men of Alba and the Saxons. And the rout was upon the Scots, and they left behind them a slaughter of their good men. Another contemporary source records that after the battle, the victorious Earl Lintred, and I quote, caused to be carried to Durham the best looking heads of the slain, ornamented with braided locks, as was their fashion at the time, and after they had been washed by four women, to each of whom he gave a cow for their trouble, he caused his heads to be fixed upon stakes and placed around the walls. So this isn't exactly how I imagine Malcolm wanted the campaign to go. However, Malcolm wasn't to quit her and he invaded England again in ten eighteen. This time things went significantly better for him. He was also backed up by King Owain of Strathclyde. The Allied forces met Earl Uhtred in battle at Carham, and this time Uhtred was the one who was routed. We don't have as much records for this battle, but it seems to be the pretty total victory as Uhtred himself died and his successor was forced to hand over all of Northumbria north of the River Tweed. This battle also seems to have given Malcolm the power to totally annex Strathclyde. The kingdom seems to have existed as an entity until the middle of the 11th century, but no more rulers are recorded. This seems to have been a bit weird, as Strathcline was on Malcolm's side at Carham. There are a few possibilities about how this came to be. Option one is that Owen was a vassal before Carham and his position was merely cemented after the battle. Option two, and this is the elite likely possibility, is that Owen died and Malcolm stepped in into the power vacuum. I'll leave it up to you to decide, but I personally favor option one, as Owen was not actually recorded as, actually, as dying. You would think someone would bring that up. Malcolm's victory at Carham did have some negative side effects though. Namely, the new and powerful Viking King of England, Knut, wasn't very happy about losing the lad. He was dealing with other things for at least a decade after the battle, but eventually the full force of England would be brought to bear on Malcolm. As I alluded to, we aren't quite sure when Knut invaded. My sources conflict and give differing accounts, but here's the gist of it. The event is officially recorded as being in 1031, but also as after Canute had fought a battle in Scandinavia. It's possible the chronicler confused the ten four twenty five or 1026 Battle of Holy River with the later Battle of Stiklestad, which was in 1030. Thus, stating the invasion may have been down to scribal error. They knew that it was soon after the battle and just picked the wrong one. No matter when it happened, Malcolm was forced to submit to Canute along with another, a new figure to our narrative, Macbeth, the King of Murray. Yes, this is Shakespeare's Macbeth, and no, he wasn't nearly as bad as Shakespeare so would portray him to be. Moray was likely a sub kingdom but may have also held significant power, and Macbeth may have even rivaled Malcolm in power. However, the two seem to have gotten well enough. Anyways, the submission ended Malcolm II's military career and he spent the rest of his life focusing on domestic matters, specifically the succession. As you'll remember, Scotland had matrilineal succession. Malcolm clearly understood the flaws in this system and did all he could to end it and pass on the throne to one of his direct descendants. The problem was that Malcolm didn't have any sons, only daughters. At this point in history, society was very patriarchal, and Malcolm didn't want his daughters ruling, and, even if he did, no one else would. This meant that the person who he chose to be his successor was his grandson, Duncan. How he went about securing the throne for Duncan is unknown. But it's likely there was at least a bit of murdering rival claimants and coercing major vassals to support him. And it worked. When Malcolm died on the 25th of November 1034, Duncan was able to succeed to the throne without opposition. However, that doesn't mean Duncan would turn out to be a great king. <laughs> In 1038, Earl Edolf of Northumbria raided Strathclyde. In retaliation, Duncan led an attack on England and besieged Dublin. However, as with his father's first invasion of England, Duncan was comprehensively defeated and suffered massive losses. His father, however, was battling approval before he suffered his defeat at Durham. Duncan had no such luxury, and there was no reason for the Scottish nobles to believe he could win fights. This means that the battle likely led to him losing support among the nobles. Duncan then made another mistake. He invaded Moray. Yes, unlike in Shakespeare's telling, Duncan was actually aggressor. He was also young, unlike the old Duncan in Shakespeare's play, and incapable, unlike the seemingly wise Duncan in Shakespeare's telling. Shakespeare wasn't one for historical accuracy, but he really dropped the ball on Macbeth. Anyways, why did the fight take place? Well, there were two options. Option one is that he invaded to seize the land and redistribute it among his nobles to strengthen his hold on the throne. Option two is that he invaded to prevent Macbeth from revolting at a later date. Macbeth has a fairly strong claim on the th- Scottish throne, so this is a possibility. Finally, option three is that Macbeth married one of Duncan's kinsmen without permission. It's possible that only one of these is true or a combination of multiple. It's not, there's not enough evidence to give a concrete answer. No matter why Duncan invaded, he met Macbeth at the Battle of Elgin. Macbeth gained a decisive victory and battle and killed Duncan. He then seized the throne as Scotland scholar for himself, however, he still faced resistance. People aren't just going to accept a new king for what was practically a separate kingdom. In 1045, Duncan's father, Abbot Crinan of Dunkeld, revolted. As you remember, Malcolm II had only daughters so Crinan, and had no direct claim to the throne. As such, it was likely he was trying to instate his grandson, Malcolm. However, Macbeth killed Crinan and ended resistance to his rule, at least for now. <laughs> Beth, while initially ruling an unstable kingdom, seems to have done a fairly good job at cementing his power. In fact, he did better jobs than most king of Scotland we've talked about so far. His position was so stable that he became the first and only Scottish king to go on pilgrimage to Rome. While he was there, he was supposedly very charitable. This indicates the degree of stability and wealth we haven't seen in Scotland up to this point. However, remember that we are reading what amounts to propaganda. When Malcolm got home, he again faced challenges to the throne. This time, however, they were external. In 1054, an English army invaded Scotland with the intent of placing Duncan's son, Malcolm, on the throne. My sources conflict about whether Malcolm was there. Once one finished at the death of Malcolm II, so gave me nothing. One claimed Malcolm was not there and the invasion was initiated by Earl Leofric of Northumbria, while another claimed that Malcolm was there and was either leading it personally or in concert with Leofric. Anyways, on the 27th of July, the two armies met in battle. We're not sure about the precise results, but it seems to be the stalemate or minor English victory. Why I think this is that Macbeth was forced to give lands to Malcolm, and possibly share the kingship with them. I can't imagine him doing this voluntarily, especially considering what is to come. In 1057, Malcolm rebelled again. This time, Malcolm lacked English support. However, he did have his own power base, and approached the middle threat to Macbeth. The two met in battle on the 15th of August 1057 in Lumpaddon in Mar. Malcolm emerged victorious and killed Macbeth in the battle. Things now get a bit confusing. There are two possible narratives that could have happened. Narrative 1 is that Malcolm had allied Macbeth's stepson, Lullock, and that two proclaimed themselves king whilst Malcolm was out of the picture. Option 2 is that Macbeth's followers proclaimed Lullock king on Macbeth's death. The result is the same, however, on the 17th of March or the 23rd of April, 1058, Malcolm killed Lullock. We don't know whether this was in battle or by treachery, but no matter what, it secured the throne for Malcolm. Malcolm was crowned King Malcolm the Third. is described by later kings lists as stupid and unlucky, so he might not have made the best king no matter what. I'm not going to go on any further than the succession of Malcolm III to the throne in our Scottish narrative, so I'd like to explain why. Malcolm was a successful and long-lasting king, but he was not a traditional one. He never shook off his early English support, and ended up contributing significantly to the anglicisation and later normalising of Scotland. We won't have many more kings with traditional Gaelic names in faith or monarchs with names like William, Alexander or Robert. Malcolm is key to this change, so I view him as the end of early medieval Scotland. If you want to hear about the reigns of Malcolm and his successors, Rex Factor did a series on the monarchs of Scotland and it's really good. I recommend you check it out in addition to their original series in England. Now, I'd like to give a hopefully brief summary of Scotland in the early Middle Ages to bookend our series like I did for England. The reason I didn't do this one for Wales is that the series was shorter so the first episode wasn't as far removed from the final one as our first episode of Scotland is. In addition to that, I think ap Llewellyn’s death was a good bookend in itself. Now let's get on to our hopefully brief summary of Early Medieval Scotland. Mm. We began our series in the distant past, and talked about what state Scotland was in before the Romans began interfering. We talked about how Scotland evolved from an early Britonic society to a Celtic one. We then saw the Romans invading England and Wales before arriving at the Scottish border and how the Romans knew the people of Scotland as the Caledonians. They repeatedly tried to invade Scotland and were sometimes successful. The Roman governor of Britannia Agricola beat the Caledonians at the Battle of Mons Graupius and temporarily conquered much of Scotland, for example. However, the people of Scotland always pushed back. The Emperor Hadrian eventually decided to just wall off Scotland and leave them to their own devices. However, the idea of expanding into Scotland always plagued the Romans. Soon after Hadrian's death, his wall was made obsolete and a new wall was built further north, the Antonine Wall. However, the Antonine Wall was too far north and eventually the Romans returned to Hadrian's Wall. During the latter 3rd century, we saw a name change for the people of Scotland. They became known as the Pits, or the Painted People. We're not sure about the context of this happening. Listen to episode 47 for more information, but the new name stuck. Eventually, the Picts were able to break through Hadrian's Wall and raid for the South. They regularly ravaged Northern England. Eventually, Rome fell in Britain and new political power emerged in the South, the Saxons. Meanwhile, Scotland itself was solidifying into new political entities. There were the Picts, Clut, and Dariata. Dariata was made of a variety of warring clans, most prominent of these were the Kenel Gabrain and the Kenil Luan. The Gabrain in particular grew to be dominant, but never expanded much outside Dariata. The Picts, meanwhile, mainly focused on keeping out Northumbria. However, during the middle of the 8th century, a powerful monarch emerged among Pictland. Orangus. Orangus subjugated Dariata, forced outclet, to pay a tribute and may have even ambushed and defeated an Athabrian army. He was also the 1st monarch Mónic we've talked about to not completely deteriorate with age and he died with his position intact. Orangus marked the end of a period of little sources and the beginning of a period of barely any sources. Part of this was to do with the Vikings. They plundered monasteries and often burned the books within them. They also sent monks fleeing and thus made them unable to recall what was going on. The Vikings also sent Dariata and Pitland into complete chaos. Out of this chaos emerged a unifying figure, Kenneth MacAlpin. Kenneth became the ruler of Dariata and eventually either conquered or peacefully took over Pitland. This led many, many historians to call Kenneth the first King of Scotland, and the fact that, that and the fact that his power stuck. He was first succeeded by his brother and after that succession spiralled down between the descendants of his sons. Due to the increasing lack of familial ties between the two branches, conflict began to break out. There were quite a few rebellions, usurpations and assassinations during this period. Eventually, the descendants of the younger son, Aid, were eliminated. However, this did not end domestic dynastic conflict but rather moved it between competing branches of the descendants of Kenneth's eldest son, Constantine. By the middle of the 11th century, this conflict was dying down. However, there were still rival claims to the throne, as we saw in Macbeth. Thank you all for listening. This episode was significantly longer than usual and took a long time to make. So if you did enjoy it, please leave me a review on our podcast or wherever else you can. Please also tell your family and friends about the show, as every new listener is a new reason to keep pumping out these episodes every week. I've finished my six month Duke of Edinburgh remit for the podcast, but I'll be releasing weekly episodes. I'm going to keep releasing weekly episodes for now, and I won't be putting in any interviews as a stopgap between Scotland and Ireland. This crept up on me too fast to arrange any. I still might put some in down the line. I'm on my solar holidays now, and that would be a good method. Of covering periods where I act- don't have access to my microphone or my computer. Anyways, if you have any money to spare and want to support the show, please consider making a monthly donation via Patreon or monthly donation via PayPal. Links to both of those will be in the description. Please follow me on Twitter, where I'm and join the community Discord server. As always, both of those will be linked in the description. If you want to get in touch, you can do so via Twitter, Discord, Patreon, or my email. History of British and gmail.com. If you've tried listening to last week's episode and found the audio quality too bad, I've re-recorded it and I uploaded the re-recording. Take a listen to it now and it should be sound much better. Now, a big thank you to my two $10 Alderman Tip patrons, Anita Gardoni and Stephen Rynish, and goodbye.